What's up, Central Christian Church? How are you guys doing? Yeah? Nice. Well, hey, I've uh, been following you guys a little bit online. It's nice to see your face in this place, though. And uh, yeah, I just want to start out and say a big shout out to my mom who's uh, watching online. Love you, mama. Love you, dad. Hey, awesome. And uh, you guys here in this room, uh, you probably already know this, but you're kind of a big deal. Uh, you guys have been an anchor of hope here in this community for 80 years, 80 years. Belty, 80 years, right? Come on, man. That's awesome. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And you guys, you, Central Christian Church, you continue to launch ministers and missionaries all around the globe to, to capture the hearts and minds of people with God's radical grace and his redemptive power. And I think that's awesome. And, uh, and here's what I know to be true of you. You guys are a big deal because out of everyone that has ever experienced the grace of Jesus throughout all time, throughout everyone living for God in our world right here, right now, God has strategically placed you in Santa Clara County where 1.7 million people are walking in spiritual darkness and he says you are the solution. You are carriers of this message of hope, of healing, of redemption. And you don't have to watch the news for very long to realize that brokenness is on the rise in our world. But here's the good news. You are on the rise. Central Christian Church is on the rise to combat that brokenness with hope and with healing, to combat what is wrong with everything that is right. You have the antidote. <laughs> and I'm honored to be in front of such a people that God would entrust for such a time as this. And, uh, and I think that's worth, uh, you know, hey, also I want to note you're a big deal because you guys have an amazing staff, right? You guys have an amazing group of elders that are tremendous leaders, love God and love people. And I think that's worth celebrating. Well, uh, before we dive in, I want to introduce you to some of my favorite people, uh, my family. Yeah, right here on the the screen, that's my, my tribe, uh, that's smoking Hot Blonde, uh, that's my wife, Tiffany, uh, Tiffany to you, Tiffalicious to me, that's my girl, that's my bae, the syrup on my pancakes, the butter on my toast, and my missing rib, my girl right here on the front row, that's awesome. That uh, older boy there, that's Cannon. Uh, he's eight. A Cannon loves people. He's our social one. Uh, he loves video games, loves fishing with dad, loves, uh, he's, a, he's a kind of a, an artist. He's a thinker. He loves sports. Uh, and he loves Star Wars. He's, he's awesome. Uh, Drake there, uh, he is five. Uh, Drake loves a handful of people and he tolerates the rest of humanity. He just tolerates them. That's about all you're going to get out of Drake. He's awesome though. He's been a fighter, you know, from birth. He, he was born with a heart condition that required him to have open heart surgery at just 10 days old. And uh, he's a fighter in every sense of the word. So he's a five-year-old, 50-pound John Cena is probably the best description of Drake. Um, and then that girl there, that's Elsie Brynn. She is three. That is my little girl. She is a diva. Uh, she is a little bit of a wild card. I don't really know how to accurately peg Elsie Brynn at this point, but I'm just going to tell you this church, I did that. <laughs> I made that. That's my girl. Uh, Tiffany helped, but I did that. <laughs> I did that. We're going to look at a chunk of scripture today found in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Today's a, a big first for me. Uh, it's, uh, it's my first honor to be able to speak to you uh, behind this podium, on this stage, big first for me. 
throughout Genesis 22, we are going to recognize some big first as well as uh, we learn a little bit more about uh, this guy named Abraham. Uh, one of my favorite questions as I'm meeting people, uh, these first impressions, is uh, what's one of the most embarrassing moments of your life? Uh, like what's maybe one of the top five most embarrassing moments of your life? And uh, I thought I would give you guys the gift of going first in that conversation. Um, it, it involves a major first for me, and it also involves me getting a nickname. You guys ever received a nickname? Yeah? This is yes, this is no, yes, yes, okay, gotcha, nice, thank you. Uh, awesome, you guys have received a nickname, that's awesome. Uh, so my, to, my, to my moment, uh, to my major first, uh, Tiffany and I have been married about a year at this point. We were going to uh, Tiffany's grandma's birthday party, her 80th birthday uh, in Boston, outside of Boston, in this beautiful community called Gloucester, Gloucester, Massachusetts. And her aunt and uncle have this wonderful home. And uh, so we show up, right? And uh, her, her aunt has this feast prepared. I mean, there's roast beef, there is potatoes, there is carrots, there's all kinds of pies. And like, to me, that's my love language. I'm like, yes, let's do this. We're going to eat. I like it. And so we go in, I load up my plate. I'm the new guy, right? And so I'm trying to put my best foot forward, trying to not put my foot in my mouth too much and just ask questions. And so we go outside to eat and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful spring evening. Uh, the house sits on the hill. It overlooks the Gloucester Bay. Fishing vessels are coming in and out of port. Sailboats are coming in and out of port. The sun's beginning to set. And I sit down with this new tribe of people that is, is my family at this point, And I'm trying to impress them, right? And so I'm just I'm staying back a little bit and observing. And, uh, and so I, I crush my first plate of food, trying to maintain my figure. And I go back for seconds, right? And, uh, and that's when it happens, that's when it happens. I don't know if you've ever sat in one of these chairs that are like one piece of molded plastic that aren't really fit for human beings to sit in, uh, especially human beings of my stature. And I'm sitting in this, this chair that is unfit for me to sit in, and uh, I have my plate in one hand. I'm going back for seconds. Things are going well. And I put my arm on this side armrest, and I kind of push off to stand up, and this arm snaps. And my big self falls back into the, this seat and the, the, the legs buckle and my feet go flying and, and scraps from my plate rain down on me as the new guy makes a smashing first impression. Thanks for laughing at my misery. So I do the logical thing, right? I, I play it off like my self-esteem isn't crushed, like I'm not totally embarrassed in front of these new people I'm trying to impress. And uh, I do the logical thing and I go to the bathroom to regain my composure. And uh, I'll spare you the details, but what happens next requires a lot of air freshener and a plunger to uh, cover up my mess. And so I'm there, right? And I'm like, there's no plunger in the bathroom. Awesome. And so I get a hold of my, my brother-in-law, who's my very good friend, or at least I think he is. And, uh, and I say, Blake, you got to find a plunger, but you cannot tell anybody what has happened here. And so he goes, and he comes back with the plunger. Unknown to me, he tells his mom, hey, Tim clogged the toilet, and he needs a plunger. Where do we get a plunger? She's like, I don't know. Let me go ask the owner of the house. Hey, Tim, he clogged the plunger. We need a plunger. Where's the plunger? And so he comes back with a plunger, and I, you know, do the thing and get it unplugged and spray a little air freshener just to be sure that we're all good. And uh, I go downstairs thinking Blake's the only one that knows. And I, I step off the stairs, and there's this sea of people very similar to this, that I don't know. They don't really know me. And, and her aunt says, what did Timmy do? What did Timmy do-do? 
And she called me Timmy Doo-Doo for the rest of the week. I hate to admit it, but I earned that name because of my actions, because of my exploits. I earned it, Timmy Doo-Doo. When we come to the Bible, we learn about God's character. We learn that God is dubbed different names because of his actions, because of his exploits. And when we come to Genesis chapter 22, we're going to learn more about God's character through his actions with this guy named Abraham. And Abraham dubs this name for God as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So hold your place there in Genesis 22. And a quick question as we segue to, to the text. If I told you the Bible offers this formula that will make you perfect, complete, in need of nothing, would you guys be interested in something like that? You guys want that? Remember this is yes, this is no, yes, yes. I'm like putting both, I'm like perfectly complete. Like I need some of that. Give me two scoops of whatever that is, right? So here it is. James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says this. uh, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, here it is, you will be perfect, complete, in need of nothing. You're like, I knew I shouldn't have raised my hand for that. <laughs> have you ever had your faith tested? It doesn't matter how much you love God or how much you question God today. Throughout your life, life will present you with circumstances, with situations that are going to be testing your faith. And here's why. I believe God is more interested in the content of our character than in the comfort of our circumstances. God is more interested in the content of our character than in the comfort of our circumstances. So in love, he takes our circumstances and he shakes them up to develop us, to help us to become the men and women that he has created us to be. Because faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So from the start of this story, it's important for us to realize that God is going to test Abraham not to harm Abraham, not to harm Isaac, not to harm Abraham or the son that he loves, but to develop Abraham into the man that God created him to be. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump in. Genesis chapter 22. And there's going to be some words that are in bold. Uh, and uh, if you could help me out by reading those bold words with me, okay, whenever we get to that. All right, so Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, it reads this. Sometime later, God tested. There it is. This is a test. God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, I'm here. Here I am. Here's the test. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. Whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Moriah, and go to sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. This is the first time we see this word love used in the Bible. And it's interesting to me that it's, it's in context of a father's deep, deep love for his one and only son. This deep, deep love for his one and only son that God has now asked Abraham to, to sacrifice. And a little bit of backstory on, on Isaac and Abraham. Uh, God called Abraham to this land he didn't know. He said, go, I'll, I'll show you. You just go. And uh, along the way, God makes this promise of Ab- to Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you famous. 
You're going you're gonna to have more kids, more, more descendants than stars in the sky or sand on the seashore. I'm going to make you famous, and you're going to be a blessing. And, you, and you're, through your lineage, you, your whole family will be a blessing to, to the whole world. Only problem was that Abraham and Sarah didn't have any kids. And so Abraham's like, what the heck? How's this going to happen? I don't, I don't really know. And, uh, and check this out. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 5, it says, uh, God tells, uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham and Sarah had Isaac when he was 100 years old. 100 years old. <laughs> I think our first observation from this text is this. If you're not dead yet, you're not done yet, right? Hey, if you're here and you can fog a mirror, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's bigger than you could ever dream or imagine. Abraham had no idea that this was coming. Because if you're not dead yet, you're not done yet. Regardless of your past, regardless of your present realities, God has big plans and a purpose for your life, regardless of your age. Uh, most scholars would have put Isaac at the age, he's a teenager at this point in the game. And, uh, and not only is Abraham challenged to sacrifice this son that he loves deeply, but in sacrificing Isaac to also sacrifice the dream that God had given him. So how is Abraham going to respond to this? Let's check it out in verse 3. It says, The next morning, Abraham got up early, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for the burnt offering and set out to the place God had told him. I'll just pause here and say, Abraham's a man of greater faith than me. Like, if, if God asked me to do that, like, to my son... I'm at least going to take a few days to pray about it, right? Like, I got to think about, let me sleep on this one. The next morning, Abraham got up and went. To Abraham, delayed obedience wasn't really obedience. He took hold of what God asked him to do, and he did not delay, even though he had to be terribly confused. Check it out, verse 4. It says, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, and we will worship there and we'll come right back this is the first time we see this word worship used in the bible and i think it's interesting the way that god has positioned the introduction to this word because in our minds oftentimes we think of worship as a song or a set list or or what the band does up here on stage right and how awesome is the band scott the band like you guys are kind of a big deal it's awesome good stuff and I appreciate like, that, that gift, and that is an aspect of worship. But in context of this scripture, worship takes place. True worship takes place when we're obedient, even when it hurts. True worship takes place when we're willing to give up something we love for the one we love even more. You cannot know the depth of your worship until you know the degree of your obedience. God did not want Isaac's life. It's important for us to take hold of that. But here's what he does want. He wants Abraham's heart. And that's why the test comes. Verse 6, let's, uh, let's pick it up and read through this. So, so Abraham placed the wood for the fire, for the burnt offering on, on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Like, can you envision this, right? Like, here's his son, his son he loves. Wood on his back. He's got a knife and a torch, and like he's moving forward with this scenario. Uh, as the two of them walked along, Isaac turned to, his, to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Oh, we have fire and, and wood, but uh, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the, the offering? God will provide. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. 
When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood, on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Uh, And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Check this out in verse 11. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, "Here, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw the ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yirah, or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide to this day, people still use the name as a, that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. Check this out. It says, this is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me. This is the first time we see the word obey used in the Bible. And God sandwiches a blessing between Abraham's obedience. Check this out. He says, he says because you've obeyed me. There's our first slice of bread. And not withheld from me your son, your only son. I swear by my own name. Here's the blessing. I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like stars in the sky and like sands on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? All because you obey me. Abraham, you obeyed me. boy. Here's the blessing. All because you obeyed me. I, I was talking to... Uh, Richard and Michelle Rock a little bit last night and uh, just kind of talking through what, what I was going to share with you this morning. And, and I was sharing, hey, you know, th- this text, it's the first time the word love's used. This is the first time the word worship's used. This is the first time the word obey is used in the Bible. And Michelle Rock was like, that's awesome. What a great message. Worship, love, worship, obey. And I'm like, that is a really good message. But that's not my message. So come back next week. Michelle Rock will be teaching here. Love, worship, obey. Don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. Here, here are my observations, though, uh, from the text. The first observation is this. Trust when you're tested. Trust when you're tested. Uh, if you've been zoning out for a little bit, all good, no worries. Sometimes I do the same. If you're on your phone checking fantasy football, I totally get it. Just hear this, though. If your neighbor's asleep, maybe write this on their forehead so when they wake up, you can remind them of what I'm about to say. Here's the whole big idea of this whole talk. We can trust an unknown future to a known God. We can trust an unknown future to a known God. Would you say it with me? We can trust an unknown future to a known God. Faith is obeying in spite of the evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. And faith is obeying whether we understand the purpose of the test or or not. But what gives us confidence in the midst of the test, what allows us to trust even when we're tested, is the God who has proved himself over and over and over and over and over again in our lives. Check this out in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. This is, this is Abraham. It, it, chapter 11 of, of the book of Hebrews is like this hall of fame of faith, right? And we land at Abraham on verse 17. It says, uh, it was by faith, right? Okay, by faith. Uh, faith, God honors faith because I think faith honors God. And so by faith, 
Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Here's how Abraham connected all the dots. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if God, that if, if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. I, I, Abraham said, you know what? If you're asking me to sacrifice the son of the promise, if you're asking me to sacrifice this son that I deeply love, then I believe that you're big enough to raise him back up from the dead because you're a God who keeps your promises. And hear, hear me on this, church. We can view our circumstances and we can allow our circumstances to shape our perspective of our God. Or we can look at our circumstances through the lens of our God and say, God's bigger than this, right? God's got this. So even if you ask me to make the ultimate sacrifice, I'm trusting that you're big. I'm trusting that you're good. I'm trusting you're a God who keeps your word. I'm trusting that you're a God who keeps your promise. We're entering into holiday season. And for many of us, this Thanksgiving this week, Christmas around the corner, equals joy on the horizon. Equals a lot of good food, which I'm like, yes, I like that. Uh, but for some of us, this will be the first Christmas without so-and-so. This Christmas is a painful reminder of what was, but is no more. For some of us, the holidays are a painful, unsolicited reminder of perhaps what never existed at all. And some of you are saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this season. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this test. Some of you are asking, what's up with our church? What are we going to do? What does the future look like? Some of you are navigating job changes and situations in your, in your life that kind of makes your foundation feel a little bit unsettled. And what are we going to do? How can we trust an unknown future to a known God? That's the real question. How can we trust an unknown future to a known God? And, and this is super simple. And I guess I'm kind of a simple man. And for some of you, this will be too simple. But for those of you who apply this, it will be profound. Simply remember... Remember, remember, remember where you came from. Remember when he made a way, when you did not see a way out. Remember how good he's been to you. Remember that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it through to completion. Remember, he who is within us is greater than he who is within this world. Remember, he's a father to the fatherless, and he's a defender of widows. Remember, he's promised that while we do not know what is to come, he's promised that he's working everything together for our good. And while the enemy wants us to be consumed with all that's wrong, and put up blinders over our eyes. Colossians 3 extends this invitation to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. To set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Because here's what we know to be true. While we do not know what the future holds, we do know who holds the future. And what is unknown to us is already known to him. So when your test comes, and it will come, Trust the God who provides. Second observation is this. Uh, continue when you're confused. Continue when you're confused. Abraham had to be riddled with confusion. But he learned to continue following God's plan even when it's confusing because obedience in the present will bring clarity in the future. Obedience in the present will lead to clarity 
in the future. We have limited perspective, right? We, we only see what's right here, right now. Abraham and Isaac are walking up one side of the mountain. And here's what Abraham sees. He sees his son that he deeply loves with wood on his back, a knife in his hand, and a torch. But Abraham continued marching up that mountain because he continued when he's confused because Abraham knew I serve the God who sees both sides of the mountain. And while Abraham and Isaac are walking up one side, God's provision was walking up the other side. So at just the right time, God's provision was made available. You can continue when you're confused because we serve the God who sees both sides of the mountain. Some of you have been praying for that loved one, maybe a spouse, maybe a child. You've been praying for them for a long time, and, and there's no sign in front of you of change on the horizon. But here's what I want you to hear. We serve a God who's working on the other side of that mountain, too. And so you just keep marching. You keep praying. You keep believing. You keep trusting God to make a way when there seems to be no way because he's done it in the past, and I'm believing he's going to do it again. Keep marching. Continue when you're confused. Trust the God who provides and know his provision is on the way. And then finally, choose the blesser over the blessing. Choose the blesser over the blessings, right? Uh, one scholar, Warren Wiersbe, said uh, he, that perhaps this test was presented to Abraham because while God promised to fulfill this, this promise through his son Isaac, perhaps Abraham started putting his hope, started putting his faith in Isaac rather than the God who had provided and made the promise in the first place. Perhaps that's why this test came to Abraham. And any time we get more excited over the blessings that God has provided, over the blesser who has provided them, we are presented with an opportunity to lay those things down in worship, to recalibrate our hearts back to the one that matters, the only one that matters. Uh, here, here's my hope. You know what? Like if God's going to provide for me, I hope he provides something I want, Right? Some of y'all already started making that Christmas list. If you're going to get a gift, you hope it's a gift you want. Like if God's going to step into my situation, he's going to bring provision. I hope he provides something I want. Here's what God hope is, though. Here's, here's what God hopes. God's hope is that at the end of his provision, it's more of him that you want. That his provision would lead us to a posture we would say, oh, God, you've been so good to me. You've got to become greater, and I've got to become less. Right? But if you're like me, I get so focused on, God, you've provided this. This is so awesome. And I lose perspective of the one who provided it in the first place. And anytime we find ourselves in those situations, we have an opportunity to say, God, <laughs> I want to recalibrate my heart back to you. You're the only one that really matters here. And thanks for your provision. But, God, you are the provider. You are the only one who really matters. You know, if you're like me, um, man, we kind of want God's provision on our terms, right? I'm like, God, I want you to come through, right? But I'm not sure I want you to come through like that. Like, like for example, <laughs> I want God to bless me financially. I want some financial provision in my life, but I'm not sure about that whole tithe thing, right? I want that Christmas bonus. Hook me up, right? But I also want to show up late and I want to leave early. I want, I want God to bless me on my terms. And sometimes I wonder if Abraham would have experienced God's miraculous provision of the ram if he wouldn't have been willing to lay Isaac down on the altar. Would the ram have, have been there? I, I think you would agree with me that, that, that you can't keep Isaac off the altar and experience God's miraculous provision at the same time because God responds to faith. 
So my question to you, my question to me is, what is your Isaac? What is that thing that you dearly love? And it's perhaps a very good thing, perhaps something God has promised, but, but perhaps that thing, that provision, has now become to overshadow the provider. What is that in your life? Whatever it is, bring it to God. Choose to worship, because you can't know the depth of your worship until you know the degree of your obedience. I love that promise because Abraham chose the blesser of the blessing. God told Abraham, all nations of earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Abraham didn't know the full extent of that promise, uh, but on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. Remember that? Uh, when we come to Second Chronicles 3, uh, we see that, that promise filled, fulfilled a little bit further. Second Chronicles 3, 1, Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, where? On Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the name of the mountain that, that God led Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and Abraham didn't know it at the time, but that location would be a location where hundreds and thousands of years, uh, not hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of animals would be sacrificed for various reasons in Jewish law. But all of them would point to this fact that we serve a holy God and, and our mistakes, our sin, require sacrifice. In the midst of hundreds and thousands of animals being sacrificed, nothing would bridge this gap between God and his people. But then 1,500 years later in the region of Moriah, God would watch his son, his only son, whom he deeply loves, walk up a mountain to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. But prior to walking up that mountain, Jesus prayed, my father, if it's possible, can you let this cup of suffering pass from me? But there would be no ram to take his place. Jesus himself modeled true worship through obedience as he laid down his life to bring the ultimate provision for you and for me. He's provided salvation. He's provided freedom from sin. He's provided personal relationship with God. He's provided power to overcome and purpose in this life. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. He's good. He doesn't just provide us with hope for the future after we die, but he provides us with hope, healing, and power in our present. And I'll be honest, here's a confession. Sometimes I feel like that title, Timmy Doodoo, is accurate of me. Sometimes I feel like because of my past, I deserve that. Sometimes I feel like because of my mistakes in the present, I, I live up to that title, Timmy Doodoo. But here's what's true of me and here's what's true of you. God has spoken a better title over my life. It doesn't matter what my past says about me. It doesn't matter what the critics say about me. It doesn't matter what those in my circle of influence have said about me. Here's what's true of me is whatever God has said is true of me. Here's what's true of you. It doesn't matter what people have said to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. What is true of you is what God has spoken over your life. And here's what we know he has said. It's no longer rejected. You are his chosen. It's no longer coward. You are commissioned. It's no longer abandoned. You are his beloved. It's no longer ugly. He calls you his masterpiece. It's no longer orphan. You're an adopted child of God. It's no longer peasant. He's commissioned you as a priest. It's no longer weak, for he says, I've equipped you with strength for the battle. It's no longer disqualified. He sealed you with a promise. It's no longer condemned, for now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. It's no longer an enemy of God. He invites you as a friend.
It's no longer despised. You are destined for better things. You've been endowed with divine power and great purpose. And friends, that's just scratching the surface. So this Thanksgiving week, my challenge to you is to think, make a list, write it down, get a tattoo of all he's provided. He's been so good to us. God's provision will be realized today, this week, throughout your entire life, when we choose to trust, even when we're tested, when we choose to continue, even when we're confused, when we choose the blesser over the blessings, and in the midst of what might feel like the ultimate sacrifice, we trust the God who sees both sides of the mountain to bring his provision at just the right time, for he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you are our provider. And God, in the midst of seasons of uncertainty, and God, even for those here in this room right now who are in the middle of a test, I pray, God, that you would set our eyes on things above and not on earthly things. I pray, Jesus, that you would allow faith to build in our hearts to trust you in the midst of the test. I pray, God, that you would infuse your church here in San Jose at Central Christian Church to rise up, God, to be the hope of the world like you've called us, you've commissioned us to. And over this Thanksgiving week, as we interact with friends and family members, God, who who may not know you, I pray, Jesus, that they would sense something different in us, that, God, they would see that we love you and we love people, not out of our own strength, but, God, out of your strength. God, help us to be that church. Help us to be that group of people that loves the unlovable, that does the unthinkable, not because we're crazy, but, God, because you've called us. And we just thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.